Um, I don't know if you've been following along, but we're in a, a, a sermon series called Sketches. We're going through the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, um, so it'd be good to be thumbing to that now as I'm speaking. 1 Samuel, and we're doing chapter 20 today. And the idea of sketches is that as we go through, we're looking for evidence of Jesus, because really the whole of the Bible points towards Jesus. So we've been looking through 1 Samuel and seeing just like, where are the impressions of Jesus? How does this point us towards Jesus? And that's what we're going to do today. Looking at 1 Samuel, and um, it's a passage that you might know um, about the friendship between Jonathan and David. So specifically today, we're looking at friendship and what can we learn from these scriptures about our friendships. So um, it's 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to finish at the end. We're going to miss a bit out in the middle. Um, so let's see how we go. Um, it, I think it's going to appear up on the screen as well behind me, which would be great. Um, so... Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And Jonathan said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I shall not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you've brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there's guilt on me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? And David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I've sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, as he's been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain behind the stone heap. And I'll shoot three arrows to the side of it. 
as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, go, find the arrows. And if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. And then I'm going to drop down to the end to verse um, 41. Um, So the the feast happens. Um, It doesn't go well. Saul gets angry, throws a spear at Jonathan. He does want to kill David. Jonathan comes out to share that news with Saul. Fires the arrows there on this side of the boy, so the boy runs back, gets them. That's the signal to David, look out, you're in trouble. The the boy goes back to to, to the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from the bed, rose from the stone heap, and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we've sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. Okay, let me just pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we, we are so amazed that the God of eternity would choose to speak to us individually. And um, Lord, we just ask that you do that again this morning, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you come and quicken this word into our hearts, Lord? Have your way amongst us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And help us to see Jesus in these pages as we do in all of scripture. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Good. Right. So that's the story. A bit of a long passage. Um, but there it is. Anyway, we're going to start with a quiz. So I always like a quiz. If we can get that slide up, please, Seamus. London, the stats. So these are cities ranked in order of something. Okay. London's top. Yay. Or, or is it a good thing? Don't know. The question is, what is that order? Any, any ideas what that order might be? You know, just guess. I don't know. House prices, yay, good one, yeah. It probably is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Population. population, could be population, yeah. You're good, but you're not right, as they used to say on the telly. <laughs> Welsh people in each city, that's it. Welsh people in each city. I didn't think anyone would get that. No, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. Time Out did a survey last year, and they surveyed, surveyed 18 cities around the world sort of big cities, prominent cities, notable cities, and they wanted to find out which was the loneliest city. And London came top. It's the loneliest city in the world of these 18 cities. And you just think, ooh, God, is it really? And we don't live in London, we live next to London, but nevertheless, you know, we also work in London. Oh, really? That's awful. And um, somebody else did a survey. They, they surveyed 2,000 Londoners. And they were asking them, you know, is London really um, a lonely place to live? 64% of the 2,000 said they regularly feel lonely. And most of those, it was most acute in the 25 to 34 age group. It's just horrible, isn't it? 26%, a quarter of these people hadn't made a friend since secondary school. And 19%, so a fifth didn't have anybody they called a friend. You just think, oh my word, it's just so sad. 
Those, those poor 25-year-olds, 25 to 34-year-olds, you know, I think of that as the kind of Toy Story generation because they grew up watching, watching Pixar and Toy Story. And you know, the, 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 the tune is, you've got a friend in me, hey! And um, they grew up thinking that, and now they're probably going, yeah, Buzz and Woody are my only friends. <laughs> you know, it's desperately sad, isn't it? You know, we're made for deep and meaningful relationships, you and me, and we're gonna suffer without them. Solitary confinement is an effective punishment because you get severed from all of that stuff. We're designed for relationships. And it's not just here that it's a problem. This chap here, this, um, this rather pixelated gentleman here, um, his name, Vice Admiral Vivek Murthy. He's the US Surgeon General, or he was, um, 2014 to 17. So that's the highest uh, person in public health over in the, over in the US, speaks, to, speaks at the government level, um, but also, um, practiced in, in, in medicine, he said, as it says there, loneliness shortens lifespans in a way similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day does. And in all his years of caring for patients, the most common pathology he saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. And um, it's just really sobering. I think we'd all agree that, as, whether, you're, whether you're a Christian or not, th this isn't a Christian problem, this is a problem for everybody. To live a healthy, well-adjusted life, you need friends. You need good friends. We're social animals. We naturally need to communicate and be communicated to. We can only thrive and blossom when we interact with others and relate to others. And yet it seems there's something of a crisis of loneliness, certainly in cities, certainly in London. It's weird, you know, we're more connected than at any time in history with, you know, Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And yet, Loneliness is at epidemic proportions. Where are all the good friends? <laughs> That's the question, where are all the good friends? One of the least quoted authors on a Sunday here is probably Aristotle. We don't tend to refer to Aristotle very much. Um, bright guy though he was. But he did say some interesting things about friendship. He wrote a lot about friendship. And um, I just wanted to reference it very quickly, just in passing. He identified three different um, categories that one's friends tend to fall into. Um, he lived um, three or four hundred years before Christ. I mean, maybe it's all changed now, I don't know. Let's see, <laughs> let's see. First of all, he said, um, we do have some friends that fall into the kind of utility or usefulness category. And that's where people benefit us, where we get some benefit from the thing, or they get some benefit. And um, I guess I automatically think of like LinkedIn and the kind of network that you might have. If I look at my LinkedIn, I've got some friends on there, but there's you know, that guy at work and this bloke I met once, and you know, this kind of, it's all a bit tenuous. But in a work contest, it's quite helpful, it's quite useful. Um, there's that horrible phrase, your network is your net worth. It's, oh, it's awful, isn't it? You know, it is not, let's be clear, it is not. But people do think like that. Um, often, those kind of relationships, you're not maybe interested in being together, you're just interested in what benefit you can get out of it, and so are they, really. So, um, these relationships are obviously easily broken, because if my needs change, I no longer have use for that relationship, <laughs> and similarly, if their needs change, you know, that relationship is quite thin and shallow, and it tends to not last long. But we do have, inevitably in our lives, some, some friendships that fall into that category. The next one is around pleasure. 
Aristotle said a bunch of our relationships fall into the pleasure category. So this is where we're looking for amusement or fun. You know, maybe we like partying or going out for the evening or whatever. Um, so these tend to be based on emotion. And emotions are a bit fickle, aren't they, really? They're a bit fleeting. So it's fine when they work. Um, of course, we do like being with these people because that pleasure thing tends to happen when we are with these people. So, you know, it's a bit different from the first one because the first one we didn't even need to be with those people. But the second one, we tend to be with those people. Um, of course, they just tend to be a little bit shallow as well and they easily end because, you know, my, my tastes change. What, what gives me pleasure changes over time. Um, and there, you know, pleasure buttons change over time. So. Um, or maybe we, we can no longer participate in the things that used to give us pleasure. So if that's what the friendship's built on, well, it's also a pretty shallow friendship as well, really. Aristotle identified the third one, which he talked about the pursuit of good and virtue. In fact, he talked about the first two as being analogous to friendships. See, they're, they're a bit like friendships, but the third one, that's a friendship. And he placed a really high value on that. And he said this is where two people are pursuing the same virtue and they're, they're united because they're pursuing the same virtue, they're pursuing a good thing and they're both pursuing it. And interestingly, the other benefits, the other friendships kind of come off as a sort of collateral benefit because if I'm pursuing good with somebody else, I'm enjoying it, that's great, so I get the second one for free. And, and it's helpful to me as well because they're encouraging me, so I get the first one for free as well. But if I've got a friendship that's based on the pursuit of good, that's a really good thing. It tends to be stronger than the first two because that's about me and my character and what I like and what I value. And that stuff doesn't tend to change over time. So if you've got that kind of friendship, it's probably quite a secure friendship. And you can help one another in that pursuit. So Aristotle placed a very, very high value on that. I think it's probably fair to say that today, friendships are a little less valued than they used to be. Um, you know, we don't tend to think of friendships as being intrinsic to who we are. We think of, you know, here's me, this is my pursuit, I'm doing this, I've got these life plans, I want to do this and that and the other. Oh, I've got some friends, that's great, but this is what I'm doing. I think Aristotle would say, no, no, those friends are absolutely foundational to your life pursuits. So it's a different way of thinking. I think we've kind of lost something of the, of the notion of friendships in, in modern times, certainly in Aristotle's time. I think sometimes in scripture we see this, even recently still, but I think today, friendships, I think because we're a bit more individualistic, aren't we? Society's a bit more individualistic. People plow their own furrow. That's why we all get lonely, because I'm just about me, I'm just about me. The Bible tells us, looking at this third category, that there's no greater pursuit than God himself. So, in your life, in my life, degrees of friendship are gonna vary. Some of my friends might be in the kind of utility category, some of them might be in the, in the happiness category, and some of them might be in the virtue category. But the deepest friendships are gonna be those that are rooted in the pursuit of God. So in that, in that virtue category, where I've got a friend who's pursuing God, and I'm pursuing God, and we have a friendship, oh my goodness, that now we're talking about real friendships. I mean, you can see the strength in that friendship. You can, see that, you can see, wow, wouldn't that be great to just partner with somebody, we're mates in this together, I'm encouraging them, they're encouraging me, awesome. Well, let's have a look at David and Jonathan's friendship with that in mind. So, David and Jonathan, it's a beautiful picture of friendship. You know, it's, it, people often look at this passage in the context of friendship, it's a beautiful picture of friendship. 
Um, bit of context for you, Jonathan is Saul's son, Saul's the king. Saul was Israel's first king. Um, God didn't plan, well, God, God's, God's intention was that Israel didn't have a king at that stage, but the people said, give us a king, so they got Saul. And um, sadly, Saul had rejected God, um, rejecting what it means to be a king of God's people, really, and um, turned away from God. So um, that's the context we kind of come into. Now, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, um, David comes onto the scene, and, and it says that God has set him apart to be the future king. And um, it says wonderfully, he's a man after God's own heart. He's just such a testament to somebody, isn't it? David's a man after God's own heart. And then we read a couple of weeks ago about um, David and Goliath and that huge victory and how significant that was. And then coming back from that, um, the people are going, yay, fantastic, everyone's cheering. And they're going, Saul, he's killed his thousands. He's fantastic. David, he's killed tens of thousands. So the, the popular opinion is kind of, you know, moving towards David. So David's kind of, you know, he's kind of on the up. And um, this is kind of getting under Saul's skin a little bit. Um, but what's interesting is when this friendship happens, Saul has a son, Jonathan, they become friends. So Jonathan is the heir apparent, isn't he? He's the, he's the crown prince. And um, he's next in line for the throne. So business as usual, he's going to get to be king of all this stuff, and it's going to be marvelous. But he can see that you know, David is God's anointed. And he can see that God's called David to be king. So it would be quite understandable if these two were at each other's throats. Jonathan's like, ah, yeah, I'm going to be king, but there's this upstart. What can I do to kind of snuff him out? What can I do to get rid of him? I could just have him executed. That would be fine. I can do that. Or David might be going, oh, all these people seem to like me. I could, I could start an uprising here, and I could muscle my way into the, into the throne room. But they don't do that. They build this incredible friendship Incredible friendship, it's so unlikely, it's a real curveball. This is a friendship that never should have been. It's a bit like, um, you know, for instance, the US president having a really close relationship with the Russian president or something. Oh no, wait, sorry, that's, that's not such a good example, is it? Sorry, no, it's, but it is, it's very, very unlikely. And, um, but, but here it is, so let's have a look more closely at, um, at what this passage says. If we look at verses one to three, um, so let me just paraphrase. David rushes in, what have I done? Where's my guilt? Your father's trying to kill me, what's going on? And Jonathan says, no, 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 that just can't be true. I don't believe you. No, he is, he is. There's an inch between my life and death. So that's a kind of paraphrase of, of, of what's going on. Now, compare and contrast. I go to the States a lot, and, but you, you see this in London, but it seems to happen a lot in the States. You know, I walk into the office and someone goes, hey, how are you doing today? And I go, yeah, I'm not so bad, thanks. Uh, actually, I've got a bit of a bad back, and oh, and they've gone. It wasn't a question. You know, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, fine, how's it going? Yeah, I'm fine, how's it going? Yeah, how you been, how you been? This is not a question and answer thing. This is just like, you know, people are just saying it, aren't they? So th- there's the kind of shallowness to that. Look at these two, they come together, your dad's trying to kill me. No, he's not. Yes, he is. You know, David could have covered that up. That's, a, that's an unpopular message. That's like, that's like he's, he's laying it all out. He's vulnerable. That's what's happening here. They're making themselves vulnerable to one another. There's an, there's an openness. You can imagine, we read what's said. You can imagine how it's said. This is not a, a cool, calm, collected conversation. This is kind of out there. 
There's no way they could misinterpret what the other's saying. They're getting it all out. It's truth. It's not appetizing truth. One of them's going, your dad, the king, is trying to kill me. So that's a, that's a vulnerable position. And the other one's going, I don't believe you. you know, how often do you say to your friend, yeah, I don't believe you. You, you know, we don't, do we? You may, you may think that, but it, you know, it's quite a blunt thing to say. And, and yeah, interestingly, note, there's empathy. Jonathan doesn't dismiss it, go, yeah, get over yourself. <laughs> he says, oh, oh, let me, oh, really? Ooh, no, I don't believe you, but really? So there's empathy. So I love that picture of two friends coming together and one sharing completely and the other one listening completely and sharing and listening and sharing and listening and sharing. And that openness is, I, th- I think, just kind of jumps out of those first three verses. Good friends share well and they listen well, don't they? Good friends share well and listen well. If King's Church is to be the community that God wants it to be, we need to be vulnerable with one another to the point where we can share well and listen well. Aristotle's not quoted very often here, but C.S. Lewis is. (laughs) So it's about time for a C.S. Lewis quote. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. How do we do that? How do we make ourselves vulnerable in practice? Well, a great place to do that is in life groups. It's difficult on a Sunday because it is a bit like, hey, how are you? Yeah, hey, how are you? I'm just going to get a coffee. (laughs) End of conversation. It's hard to get past initial pleasantries on a Sunday. So life groups is is kind of, that's a great place to connect. Join a life group, turn up, commit to a life group, share in the life group, and be the friend you want to have in the life group. That's what I'd say to you today. Gandhi said, um, be the change you want to see in the world. I'm saying, be the friend you want to have in King's Church. As you pray together in your life group, as you worship, as you study the Bible, as you pursue the things of God that we're passionate about, you'll create the perfect context for godly friendships. That's the perfect context. You won't do it in just one evening. Yeah, you know, I went to life group once, yeah. I didn't make one deep, profound, vulnerable, godly, lifelong friendship, so I'm not gonna go again. I mean, you know, spot the obvious nonsense in that statement. So, let's do that, let's share honestly, let's listen well, let's be vulnerable with one another. Now, I'm gonna name check a couple of people here. Um, I've not asked their permission, which I'm supposed to really as a preacher, but I hope they don't mind. So I want to say Andrew Brand um, is is somebody that really um, is great at honest communication and conversation. I hope you don't mind me embarrassing you, Andrew. Um, He brings an honesty and a candor to conversation with love. It's so important to do it that way around, isn't it? How helpful it is to have a friend that encourages you, but also calls you out when you do something dumb. 
or you say something dumb. But they do that in love, in a way that you can receive it and benefit from it. That's really helpful. That's a, that's a good friend. That's a good friend. So, challenge one this week for you go to your life group and ask someone for prayer. So that's you, that's you being vulnerable, going, look, here's my weakness, I'm going to get it out. When we go, let's pray at the end, no, no, everything's okay. Wrong, you're a sinner, everything's not okay. You're not, no, let's, let's, okay, you want prayer? Here it is, you know, you pray for this. Get your stuff out on the table. And also, when you get asked for prayer, because if we all do this, we'll all get asked for prayer, then respond, listen well. Respond, pray, follow up, and then build on that. Because that's the start of you building godly friendships. That's the start of you growing and maturing godly friendships. Let's be vulnerable with one another, King's Church. We can do that, can't we? So that was the, that was the, the first thing that I saw in this passage. The next thing, we, get, we go to verses 4 to 10. And um, let me just kind of um, paraphrase that. So David says to Jonathan... They say, what are they going to do? You know, Saul, David's going, Saul's going to kill me. What are we going to do? Jonathan says, okay, tell me what I should do. And David says, I want you to go back to your father, spy for me, discern your father's intent, and come and tell me. <laughs> this is, these are all hangable offenses. This is treason, isn't it? Um, David goes, Jonathan, can you just jeopardize uh, your entire future as a prince and the, the, the fact that you're the heir to the kingdom. Can you jeopardize all of that for me, please, would you? Would, would you risk your life for me? A huge ask. So I think loyalty is called for here. So the second, the second thing we see in this passage is huge amounts of loyalty. You see, I think David can ask this question of Jonathan. Well, there's a number of different ways he could ask it. On you know, a number of different grounds he could, he could ask, ask such, a, such a big question. You know, this is an easy question to ask if it's easily granted. You know, pass me that pen or, you know, uh, open the door for me. That's an easy, easy ask, isn't it? But this is no easy ask. So that's not the basis. Another basis to ask this question would be if David was a real harsh, uncaring, overbearing type of person. I don't care about you. Can you take this huge risk for me? I don't care. Just, just do it. Just do it. But that's not the context we see. We see an intense love between these two. So that's not the, the, the basis of this. I think the third basis is, is there a loyalty between the two? Is there a trust? Is there a covenant? Is there a relationship? Could these two say, I am com com completely committed to your best interests in the same way that I know you are completely committed to my best interests, and in that context, can I make this big ask of you? I think that's the basis that we have here. It's a firm, secure foundation from which to start. There's real loyalty here, real loyalty to one another in this relationship. I love as well, just in passing, we kind of go back to point one where we see um, vulnerability. David's like, but if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself. Don't even take me back to your father. So he's just kind of laying out there. If I'm guilty, do it now. Let's, 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 let's just sort this out now. And Jonathan's going, far be it from you. If I knew it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Again, just that vulnerability. There's no, there's no guile here. There's no, no hidden meaning. Nothing's hidden. But in terms of loyalty, are you a loyal friend? Are there people here that know that you've got their back, that they can completely count on you? They can call you day or night, and you're going to go, yeah, I'm here for you. 
Is that how it is for you here at King's Church? You know, the opposite of that would be a fair weather friend. Only committed really when it suits me, or only committed when it's convenient, or only committed when I get something out of this transaction. Do you actively commit to being a loyal friend to those around you, even if it costs you? There's so many examples of that here in King's Church. So many examples of loyal friends. Again, I've not asked his permission, a bit naughty, but I'm going to call out Andy Lee here. Um, you know, lifts to the airport, meals for people that need them, accommodation, honest, straight talk and guidance when you need it, um, genuine interest in benefiting other people, genuine disinterestedness on his part. There's a loyalty in Andy and Joe that I think is a precious thing. I don't see them here today, but there's a loyalty in those guys. Are there people here with whom you are joined in the pursuit of God's glory, whose godliness and well-being you are also passionate about to the extent that you're a loyal friend? That's what loyalty means in this context, I think. So, the challenge for you, to add to your other challenge, (laughs) what can you do to be a more loyal and close friend to those around you? What can you do to demonstrate that you're passionate about the good of your friend and the pursuit of God? How can you cultivate loyalty over the coming weeks? So that's that's perhaps a longer term one. The first one, this week, we're gonna do that. The second one is gonna take investment and time and commitment and intention. the, the, The second one's gonna take the first one because you can't do the second one without being vulnerable. You can't build that loyalty with somebody without saying, I want to build loyalty with you. So there's a vulnerability in that. So they kind of build together. So let's be increasingly vulnerable as a church, shall we? That'd be great. So, um, third one I wanted to look at. I'm dropping down to verses 11 through 23 now. Let's have a little eye on that one. So this is where Jonathan says, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I've sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he's well disposed towards David, I'll tell you. If he's not well disposed towards you, I'll tell you and send you away. And then he says, if I'm still alive, this is interesting actually. He says, may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. In the space of a few moments, Jonathan's gone from, I I don't believe you, that's not true, my father's not trying to kill you, this is the first I've heard of it. And he's now saying, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. I think what's happened here is Jonathan's looked at the situation and he's gone, I can see Saul has turned away from God. He's, he's turned his back on God. And I can see God has called out David as a man after his own heart to be the next king. Oh my goodness. And he's going, if Saul is intent on killing David, David needs to flee. And then we've got two kind of rival camps set up. We've got the house of Saul and we've got the house of David. Oh my goodness. God said David is a man after his own heart and is the next king. Therefore, there's, there's got to be, you know, this, this isn't looking good. This isn't looking good. Saul's house will prevail, thinks Jonathan. Oh my goodness, 
if I'm still alive. This is kind of almost prophetic. He's getting into, he can see what's happening here. He can understand what's happening. If I'm still alive, because he knows these two houses are not going to coexist. There are not going to be two kings of Israel. Only one will persist. And God has said it's going to be David. So Jonathan says, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of God that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. So he's kind of understanding the kind of um, gravity of the situation. I love it that the in amongst all this, that God is obviously right at the center of this friendship. That these, these guys, their lives pivot on God and are just interwoven with each other and with God. I love it that as, as, as he's kind of reading through, I mean, it's crazy in this kind of, this bold statement that Jonathan makes, you know, the Lord do to Jonathan, the Lord, the God of Israel, be my witness. May the Lord be with you. This steadfast love of the Lord, he's just, he's just, he's constantly seeing his life in the context of God. That's, his life is just founded on God, and he knows David's life is founded on God, and their relationship is founded on God. There's real faith in this relationship. God is absolutely central to these two men as individuals and to their relationship. God's threaded through the whole thing. I love it. I love that verse. As for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Imagine that. Imagine being able to say, the Lord is between you and me forever. My pursuit of God is never going to cease. I can see your pursuit of God is never going to cease. We're going to pursue God for all of eternity in this life and the next. And the Lord is central to that. Wow. That's a friendship. That's a friendship. Oh, that that would be our testimony about our relationships amongst us more and more. You know, we have that, for sure we have that here. More and more, more of that, God. In our close friendships, our relationships, in our marriages, that we can say the Lord is between you and me forever. Wow, what a firm foundation. They can face all this turmoil, upheaval. See, what's happening here as well, this precious friendship is being riven apart, isn't it? David's going to go. And Jonathan sends him away. Such is Jonathan's love for David. He sends him away for his safety. But they can face all of this because they know the Lord is between them forever. I remember years ago, so before Philip and Caroline were with us, before Simon and Caroline were with us, um, we, we, there was a time when we didn't have like a full-time leader of the church. And um, we were just kind of um, you know, going along from week to week, looking for someone to come and lead us. And the phone rang, and it was Terry Virgo's secretary saying, Terry would like to come and preach at King's Church. Now, I'd read Terry's books, I'd seen him on the platform, I'd watched the videos, I never met the man in person. And like, he, he's cho- choosing to come here and speak to us. Well, it wasn't here, it was somewhere else. But it was like, oh my goodness. So, um, so Terry came. And uh, it was extraordinary, of course he preached, it was fantastic. And then um, we, we'd said, well, why don't you come back for lunch afterwards? And um, so we got some time with, um, you know, St. Terry, sitting there having lunch, you know, just, um, just chatting about stuff and life. And what was so clear throughout his conversation, this wasn't when he was preaching, just over lunch was that the gospel was just through the man. He was just... He was full of the gospel, he was full of the presence of God, full of the spirit of God, and just in his conversation, that's just what you got. 
You know, when you want to know Terry Virgo, it's like, well, the gospel this. Oh, it's a bit like this verse here. Oh, I remember a prof- prophetic word once this. And, uh, oh, God's been doing this. And it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't artificial. That's just what his life looked like in his conversation. He was just, he was just full of the presence of God. A, a man of total faith. His faith was evident. And that's, I think, what we see in Jonathan when we, when we read this section here. He's, he's, he's talking about this kind of life and death situation. He's talking about the separation of the best friend, his, his best friendship he has, but it's just riven through with scripture. I think he references the Lord something like nine or 10 times in this, in this section here. These two men, a shared pursuit of God, a shared pursuit of God's glory, God's will, his kingdom, a shared commitment to one another, and God just being at the center of that, and it's just so evident from the way he communicates, from the way he conducts his life. You know, God has a vision for each of us. God has a vision for you as a man of God, and for you as a woman of God. He knows exactly what that, he wants that to look like. So having God at the center of the friendship means that as you and your friend together share a common pursuit for God, We're both seeking God and his glory and his kingdom. But I'm also helping my friends to pursue the vision that God's got for them. You know, God's speaking to me about the man of God he wants me to be. I'm pursuing that. Let me share that with you, because God's God's challenging me to do this and this and this. Oh, that's great, I can help you with that. So so what's God saying to you? you? Oh, this, oh great, okay, well let me pray into that with you. That's what that looks like. It's about discerning something of the will of God, as Jonathan does here and then pressing into that with your friend. I mean, this is a really solid foundation for friendship. Hugely encouraging. I mean, it's, it's tough to pursue the vision of God that God's got for you. That's not an easy walk, is it? It's a lot easier if you've got a godly friend walking with you, supporting you in that, praying with you, challenging you in that. So challenge number three for you this week is pray with a friend about your pursuit of God and his glory Pray with a friend about their pursuit of God and his glory. Again, that's about being vulnerable, it's about being loyal, and it's about being faithful. So do you see the sketch of Jesus that is kind of beginning to emerge in this? Maybe you do. You see, Jonathan's coming along going, I'm the heir to the throne, but I'm taking all that off because of David. And there's that lovely bit where they kiss. And you know, some people read kind of um, erotic intent into that, which is just not there at all. It's a complete misunderstanding of scripture. Um, that's about veneration. The, our, our word worship means to kiss towards. And I think you know, there's an acknowledgement here on Jonathan's part, this is the king. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna acknowledge that. I'm, I'm, there's a veneration in that kiss. That's what that's about. So Jonathan is like, he's taking off his glory because of his, this other guy, David. He's lowering himself, he's humbling himself. Well, you know, you get it. This is Jesus, isn't it? This is Jesus, the crown prince of all eternity. Stepped aside, took off his robes of righteousness and glory, humbled himself, lowered himself to come to earth. He put off all the privileges of heaven that were rightly his, for our sake. He entered into a covenant, not just to be our friend, but to be our savior as well as our friend. He laid aside his majesty, 
put on all the guilt and shame that belongs to us. Jesus Christ is your ultimate friend. He's completely single-minded about the glory of God. God is completely single-minded about his glory. Jesus completely obedient to the Father in the pursuit of God's glory, his will, his kingdom. And in that, intrinsic in that, is him wanting to benefit us and his commitment to us. Intrinsic in that is that wanting to see the best for us, wanting us to become the man or the woman of God that God would have us be. So because of what Jesus has done, because of this transaction where he came down from his throne onto earth and died on the cross, because of that transaction, only because of that can we have friendship with God. The basis of that friendship is the covenant that Jesus established. It's not dependent on my circumstances, it's dependent on his promise to us. Can we get the band back and we're gonna move on at this point. And um, just as we do, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna sing and uh, there's gonna be the opportunity to pray. Um, maybe stuff that has happened this morning or stuff I've said, you just wanna respond to that. Um, I'd encourage you to come to the, to the front as we're singing. The prayer team are gonna be over here. Um, speak to the prayer team and, and, and share with them. Remember, we're thinking about being vulnerable, being loyal, being honest, being open. Let, let's begin some of that today. And, and pray with those guys um, about some of this stuff. But I just want, I was conscious, maybe if you're looking into King's Church, maybe you're looking into Christianity. You've been here before, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been here a couple of weeks, I don't know. Um, I just want you to know that you can have friendship with Jesus. You can have that this morning before you leave. You can have it, it's available to you. Jesus is calling you into friendship. He wants that, it's not an optional thing. He wants that, he came to die for that. So um, if that's you, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. I'd love to chat to you afterwards. So I'm gonna be over with the prayer team and um, why don't you just make your way down to the front and we can, we can have a little chat and a pray. That'll be great. So I'm gonna pray right now. Um, why don't you all stand and then Ross is gonna lead us in worship. Lord, we do thank you for your amazing words to us. Lord, thank you that it's alive and it brings us life. And um, Lord, we just wanna say, we want to be a community of friends that are um, vulnerable with one another, loyal with one another, and faithful to you. And Lord, we thank you for your sending Jesus to die on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, Lord. Thank you that we can have friendship with you only because of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.